I don't know how you view the events in the world right now, things, if news or what your Twitter feed looks like, but um, if, if you look at the world right now and think, boy, this is pretty normal, um, I need whatever medication you're on, right? You know, like whatever therapist you're seeing, I need his number because I, I look at the way things are going and the conversations that are being being had, and I think, man, this is the weirdest time I can ever remember in my whole entire life, which is, which is not very long, right? Like, I don't, my lifespan's not very long, but for, for the season that I've been on this earth, it's like, man, this is crazy, weird stuff that's happening. In the Bible, and, and Jesus in particular in the Gospels, when he, when he was on the earth teaching, and then the other authors, both Old and New Testament, they, they kind of say the same thing, too. Jesus would often talk about how there's a, there's a way of looking at the world. There's a way of living. There's a, a road, a path, a system that people who don't believe in God kind of form their life around. And, and then there's another system. There, there's there's an, another worldview or philosophy, another way of seeing the world that, that people who believe Jesus is God form their life around. Now, I, I, I'm not saying that we, we have completely different goals. If, you, if you, you're here and you're not sure about God or you don't believe in God or you don't think Jesus is God, I, I bet if we took somebody who doesn't believe in God and we sat them next to somebody who does believe in God and we asked them, hey, what do you want out of life? Like, What are your goals? Many, maybe all, of their answers would be exactly the same. Um, I want to be happy. I, I want to have a sense of joy in my life. I want peace. I want security. I want good relationships, like healthy, strong relationships. We all want that. I want security. You know, I, I, I want to know that my kids are safe. Uh, a lot of those goals, exactly the same. Relationship goals, emotional goals, uh, life goals, probably almost exactly the same. The difference would be how we're going to get to those, how, we're gonna, how that's going to actually happen in our life. Jesus in the Gospels would say there's kind of a different approach to getting to that. Like if you want to be happy, <clears throat> Jesus would say getting to that is going to look different for, for people who follow me and believe in me and those who don't. Uh, it's going to kind of be an upside-down look. About 2,000 years ago, uh, in the first century, there was a guy who experienced both of those. For a good part of the early part of his life, he didn't believe that Jesus was God. And it wasn't just that he, he, didn't, he didn't like Jesus. It wasn't that. It was that he hated people who believed Jesus was God. And he spent an enormous amount of energy and emotion trying to eradicate People who believe that Jesus was God put them in jail, uh, beat, beatings, persecutions, even executions. He was present when a follower of Jesus was stoned to death, and he watched the whole thing, approved it. This is good. I want more of this to happen around the world. I want to take out as many of these people as possible. So that was the beginning part of his life. He never met Jesus when Jesus was on earth. He wasn't a disciple. He, he wasn't. It wasn't somebody that had a conversation with Jesus. But in his words, one day after Jesus went back to heaven, he had a vision or a dream or some kind of encounter 
with Jesus. He believed Jesus came back and confronted him. And he believed it so much that his whole life changed. Everything about who he was got flipped upside down. Everything about who he was got totally transformed. And he became somebody completely different, right? It wasn't just that he made kind of a little adjustment in his life. It wasn't that he matured or, or, or he became uh, more compassionate in his old age. It's not like he, he didn't like vegetables when he was a kid and he likes them now that he's an adult, right? He didn't like celery as a kid and now he eats celery as an adult, which by the way, I, hate, I hated celery when I was a kid. I still hate celery. Celery's awful. I, I, don't, I don't know how you eat celery. But you do that sometimes. Like you, Your tastes change. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a guy who once persecuted Christians, and now all of a sudden, he's willing to be persecuted because he follows Jesus. A guy who once killed, murdered followers of Jesus, and all of a sudden, he believes so much about Jesus that he's eventually going to die for Jesus. It's incredible, this transformation that took place in his life when he met Jesus, and, and his name's Paul. Now, Paul believed so much that he had encountered Jesus and it had transformed his life that he tried to help as many people as possible meet Jesus. And, and primarily the way he would do this is he would go to a new region because he felt like he was supposed to tell people who had never heard about Jesus who Jesus was so that they could become his followers. So he would go to a new city he would meet some people and he'd start dialoguing and, and become friends with them and he'd share Jesus with them. And then when a couple of those people committed their life to Christ, they'd make a little church. They'd go to a home and they'd have a church and a Bible study. And then that church would grow and then he would find leaders over that church and then he'd leave that church and he'd go to another city and he'd repeat. Find some people. They'd meet Jesus, they'd become a, a house church, and then they'd become a bigger church, and then they'd have leaders, and then he'd go somewhere else. He, he does this in a, in a little place called Philippi. Um, in, the, in the first century, Philippi was a, a, a leading city. Acts chapter 16 tells us it was a leading city. Uh, it, it wasn't the capital, but, but it was important. Trade route goes right through there. Um, it's, its history goes back to 300 B.C., Philip II. He named it for himself. This is the city of Philip, he called it. And so it became known as Philippi. Uh, Mark Antony and Octavius defeat Brutus and Cassius at Philippi, if you're familiar with Shakespeare, Shakespearean reading from high school. Uh, so Mark Antony and Cassius uh, defeat, uh, or Octavius defeat Brutus and Cassius in this little place. It's a Roman province by that time, which means it's thoroughly Roman. Its government is Roman. Its uh, religion is Roman, which meant polytheism, statues, idols, bunch of bunch of gods everywhere, and they thought everybody should worship the idols. Its uh, culture was uh, Roman theater, th that sort of thing. Its morality was Roman, which meant it didn't have a lot of morality. And in this little place called Philippi, Paul feels called to go and start a church. Some of you remember that, that Paul wanted to go to Asia. 
He wanted to be the first to take the gospel to Asia. And God said, nope, I don't want you to go to Asia. And then he had a dream about going to Macedonia. And Philippi is in Macedonia, first church to be formed in Europe. Paul goes to Philippi, meets a businesswoman by the name of Lydia. She believes in God. He shares about Christ. She comes to faith in Christ along with some friends. Church gets started in Philippi. The other part of Paul's strategy was... When he left, he would write letters back to the churches that he, had, that he had founded, just encouraging them or trying to give them some instruction. That's what we have in the New Testament book of Philippians. And we're going to be there for the next couple of weeks. We're just going to walk right through the book of Philippians. And so we'll be there for a good bit of the summer. Uh, so you may want to figure out how to find Philippians. Right? It's in about halfway through the second part of the Bible, the book of Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, uh, or you can find it on version. Um, here's what I want you to remember as we jump into Philippians. <clears throat> as Paul writes this letter, he's not thinking, I want to write a, a book of the Bible. Like that's not on his mind. Paul's not thinking... How can I write something that's going to be in the holy book of Christianity? That's, he's not thinking about that at all. All Paul is thinking about is, what do I feel like God wants me to tell my friends back in Philippi? So he writes this deeply personal letter to some folks that he really cares about. Now, last thing, and then we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1. <clears throat> Paul had a tendency in all of his letters <clears throat> to tell you, what he was going to tell you about in the letter. At the beginning of the letters, he often sort of outlines, these are the major themes that I'm going to come back to. And we find this in the book of Philippians. So we're going to talk about those, and then he's going to develop them through the rest of the book. Here's Philippians <clears throat> chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseer and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is typical Paul greeting. <clears throat> this is typical Paul introduction. But if you're going to understand this upside-down nature of what Paul's going to tell us about how to live our life, it starts at the very beginning with the way Paul introduces himself. Paul says, just a servant of Christ. That's the only way you need to think about me. Servant, maybe better translated, slave, I'm just under Christ. He, he doesn't introduce himself as, I'm the founding pastor of the church at Philippi where you are. Like if there's some new people who have come in and you don't know who I am, like I started that church. He doesn't say, I'm the pastor emeritus, you should all respect me. He doesn't say, I'm the greatest church planter in the first century, even though he was. He doesn't say he's an exceptional leader. He doesn't call himself the CEO. He says, the only way you need to know me is I'm a servant of Christ. Like, I'm under Christ. I'm following Christ. I'm dependent on Christ. These aren't my ideas. I, I'm not doing my own thing here. I am a servant of Jesus. That's all you need to know about my title. I don't need a business card. I don't need a nameplate on my desk. I'm just following Jesus. I'm just chained to Jesus. I just want Jesus and more of Jesus. He says there are people in the church who have titles. I don't think he's being negative. He, he says, I'm writing this to the church and to the overseers and deacons. 
So they have titles. I don't have a title. I don't need a title. I'm not looking for a title. I'm not looking to be somebody in your mind. I'm just following Jesus. You know, in, in the church, in life, we should be very careful about giving people titles who want titles. We should be very careful about handing position to people who want position. Here's Paul 2,000 years ago saying, I don't have a position. I don't have a title. I don't care what you think about me. I'm not trying to build me up in any way. I am under Jesus. Here's the first thing Paul's going to deal with in this letter. And that is, in an upside-down world, in an upside-down faith, the way up is down. The way up is down. Like, if you want your life to count... Like if at the end, you want to believe that my life mattered, like something happened in my life, the way up is down. It's humbling ourselves, living and walking as servants of Jesus, the way up is down. So he, he's writing to the overseers and deacons. He's writing to God's holy people, he says, which just means set apart. You're going to be different. I'm going to tell you, upside down life, getting to your goals is not going to be the path that you think it is. You're going to be unique among the other people in the world. And Paul's going to develop that more in the rest of the letter. So I'm going to just leave that there. Verse 3, he starts writing his content to the people. And he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers, for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now, being confident of this. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify that this was the church that Paul loved more than any other. Like his affection for these people were greater than any other church he planted. Now, if Paul were here, I don't know that Paul would say that. But reading this, it's hard to argue. Like Paul says, I, I long for you. I love you. Like I have this deep emotional connection. I have this deep affection for you. I'm so grateful for all of our memories, for everything we've experienced together. Now, I don't know if Paul was like that in person. All we have are his writings, but I tend to think that because he wrote like this so often that if you were sitting with Paul, like if you were one-on-one -on -one with Paul, that's the sort of thing you'd get from him. Paul would start out by saying, I, I, I love you. My heart is for you. I'm so grateful for you. You matter to me. You mean something to me. I just, before we get into this conversation, I just wanted y'all, I just want you to know I love you. You, which honestly, that makes some of us nervous, doesn't it? I mean, can you imagine sitting at Chili's with somebody on the other side of the booth? And they start out by saying, look, before we order anything, I just got to say, I love you. Like, you matter to me. And you mean so much. I'm so grateful for our lives together. And I want there to be more of us together. And the waiter's got the chips and saucers listening to the whole thing. And you're like, just put that down and go away because this is awkward. Like, initially, that feels awkward, doesn't it? But what, a, what an awesome guy who just took every opportunity to say to people, hey, I love you. I, I care about you. I love you, man. Right? Bring it in. Let's bro hug this thing out. Right? Come on. Let's, I love you. Like, we're connected. 
we are very good at posting what the checkout lady at Walmart didn't do right for us, aren't we? I mean, like we're really good at letting the whole world know that Comcast customer support is terrible. Right? And maybe it's terrible. I don't have Comcast, but from what I'm reading, it's terrible. Right? It's awful from all of you. It's, 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 it's awful. I mean, we're really good at saying this is what went wrong and this is what they didn't do and they didn't fulfill this and my food wasn't hot. And What if we became more characterized as a people who just let other people know they matter? Who say consistently, I'm so grateful for you. I see God at work in you. I'm, I'm, I appreciate our friendship. I'm so, th- I don't mean all the time. You could be a freak about this, right? I don't mean all the time. I just mean consistently. For the people that God's put in our lives, that we're okay saying, just want to know I'm, I'm thankful for you. I'm so Grateful for you. This is the kind of guy that Paul is. This is the kind of guy that's writing this letter. He, he says, sort of interestingly, at one point, I thank my God every time I remember you. Like when a memory of you comes up, I'm just so grateful. I, I'm so grateful. Which is odd in some ways because not everything in Philippi was good. I mean, read Acts chapter 16. Paul's in Philippi, he gets dragged into the street, he gets beaten, he gets thrown in jail. All of that stuff happened in Philippi, but when Paul's thinking about what happened, Paul says, I'm just, I'm grateful that we were there. I'm grateful you were there, I was there, I'm grateful for what happened. That that doesn't necessarily mean that he's grateful for everything that happened. I, I think Paul had figured out that we have to remember the right things and we have to remember the people who are with us when things aren't right. We have to remember the right things. Like we can put our mind on all the things that are awful or we can put our mind on the things that are good. And then even when things aren't good, we have to remember that, yeah, even in the bad times, there were people around me. There were people with, there were relationships that sustained me and encouraged me and held me up. And I needed, and I'm going to think about those things. In verse 7, he points out how in the good times and the bad times, those people were there for him. He says, look, when I was preaching the gospel, like when church was going great and people were joining, we were seeing people come to Christ and we ran out of room and, and everything was just going great. You were there. And, and then when I was in jail, in chains, you were there. When things were great, you were there. When things were difficult, you were there. And I am grateful for that. They were, they were in it with Paul. That's what he remembered. He remembered that everything that happened, the ups and the downs, you people were with me. I knew I could count on you. He, he used this phrase, I remember your partnership in the gospel. I remember your partnership in the gospel. Partnership is a Greek word. We don't throw out Greek words very often, but some of you know this and others of you don't. Don't worry about it if you don't. But if you've been in church a while, you've heard the word koinonia. And we often translate koinonia as church or we translate koinonia as fellowship, um, which I'm not sure there's a less useful word in the English language than fellowship, right? Like, what does that mean? It's kind of like a stuffy church word for we hung out. 
And we had some appetizers, and we chatted, we fellowshiped. Nobody uses fellowship. You know, I got $100, says nobody here used fellowship this week. If you did, I'm not going to pay you, but I'm just saying. I'm saying we don't use fellowship. Like, like it's not a part of our vocabulary. It's not something we say all the time. Here, here's a better way of thinking of that word. This koinonia that Paul's speaking, this partnership he's talking about, is the idea of being a part of something with someone. Like I'm in something, like I'm a part of something bigger than me, and there's other people a part of it with me. And that's what Paul's saying. Like when I think about you, I think about how God did things bigger than all of us. Like the gospel was huge and greater, and God's spirit was moving in this unbelievable way, and we were in it together. We were committed to one another. Like, like we were given everything to this gospel and this goal and this movement of the kingdom that's the kind of partnership that we had, that we knew God was doing something. We knew God was at work. and We were seeing evidence of it everywhere. And so we all, we all poured our lives into it, time and energy and emotion and, and even finances. You're going to say, man, you just gave. You gave beyond your ability. There was you so much. You believed in this so much that you just poured yourself totally into what God was doing. In, in, in Philippi, apparently there was nobody in the church that said, well, I mean, if you can't find anybody else to do that, then maybe I'll do it. Nobody said that in Philippi. Nobody showed up and sat in the seat and snuck out and went home. Like, nobody enjoyed all the music and then kind of got out real fast before they could be signed up for anything. Paul said, when I think about Philippi, I think about people who gave their lives to this huge thing that God was doing. The gospel had never come to Europe. The gospel had never penetrated this part of the world, and we knew God was doing something unbelievable, and people signed up. People said, yes, I'm in whatever it takes. I'm partnering with you in the gospel. Now, in order to make this partnership work, and Paul's going to discuss this, in order to make this partnership work in this early church, they had to guard their togetherness. They had to guard their unity. And there, there was some conflicts that were starting to come up, and he's going to address that later in the letter. But he's, this is kind of his foreshadowing. Is when, when I mean partnership, I, I mean we not only were together in what we were doing, but we were together in heart. We were together in mind. We were united. There, there wasn't like this underground conversation going on. There, there, there wasn't a, hey, you get on my side and let's be against them or let's be on this side and let's oppose that. There, there wasn't this underground current of conversation and conflict going on. They, they protected not just their church. They protected the advancement of the gospel against the harm that disunity causes within a church. I hope and pray, I hope and pray that journeys like this, I hope and pray that journey continues to be like what Paul describes, where people are just in, where people believe, and God's doing something bigger than us, bigger than Ken, <clears throat> bigger than the staff, bigger than just us people. God is doing something. He's launching something from here with eternal impact, with eternal consequences 
that could change lives and encourage people and build people up and see the kingdom of God advance. I, I, I hope that 10 years from now, we look back on these early years as journey and we go, you know what? We were just in it together. It, 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 in the immortal words of High School Musical, we're all in this together, right? I, just, I hope there's that sense when we look back that we go, man, I remember those days. And everything wasn't perfect, and the, the seats didn't match, and the chairs didn't have the same color, and, and we were meeting in a funeral home, and it was crazy, like it shouldn't have worked. God shouldn't have been able to use that. But we just were in it together. And we just believed, not that there aren't other good churches in the air, we just believed God wanted to do something here. And so we just gave ourselves to it. We gave ourselves to it completely to see what might happen with the gospel. And, 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 and Philippi had struggles. I mean, they were challenging times. They were launched, they were birthed in a time of great hostility to the gospel. They, they, were, they were birthed in an environment where the government was against what they were doing. The people didn't understand what they were doing. The morality that they had been called to live by, nobody else felt like that was the right thing. I mean, they had to stand strong. They had to stand firm. They had to be committed because they were going to face challenges and they were going to face difficulties. But there was something about that young little church where those people just said, we believe God's in this and we're going to commit ourselves to it. As they faced those, and we'll see this in the rest of the letter, they learned that their suffering didn't have to define everything about them. They learned that their suffering didn't get to define everything about who they were or what God was doing or where God was leading them. And Paul led the way in this. I mentioned in Philippi, he's thrown in jail, he's persecuted, he's beaten, has, has this difficult time going on in Philippi. As Paul is writing this letter, he's back in jail, different jail, there's some debate over exactly which jail it was. Maybe it was Rome, probably Rome. He's in jail somewhere, and he's writing them this letter to say, man, I'm just so grateful for you. I mean, we've been through like eight verses. If I'm Paul sitting in jail, I'm not getting through eight verses without saying, can you get me out of jail? Like, I'm just, I'm just asking. Has some lawyer joined the church since I left that could come up here and like go to court for me? Anybody got a connection? Maybe bail me out and I'll come worship with you. Like I'm wanting to get out of jail if I'm Paul. Paul never in this whole letter says, can you get me out of jail? Paul had realized that his circumstances, <clears throat> his suffering, his struggles didn't define everything about him. And he had realized that Struggle is what was advancing the gospel most. We're going to get to that next week. Struggle was advancing the gospel. The early church was not birthed in an environment of comfort. It just wasn't. It was not birthed with a church that had everything going their way. It was birthed in an environment where every possible obstacle was in front of the church. And it changed the world. It revolutionized the world. If these people had not realized that suffering doesn't define everything, we wouldn't be here today. 
If these people at the first sign of struggle had backed off of the gospel, had backed away from walking with Jesus, there would be no church anywhere in the world today. If Paul had said, man, this is too much. All, all these beatings and shipwrecks and jail and everybody hates me. I'm done. I'm walking away. We wouldn't have read this letter. We wouldn't know who he was. We would never know these words bigger than the suffering that we're experiencing. God's doing something bigger than the struggle that we're facing. And so we're going to keep on walking. We're going to keep on being obedient. We're going to keep on seeking Jesus. Now, when you love somebody, when you care about somebody, you want certain things for them. And as Paul's wrapping up this little introduction... He foreshadows, these are the things I want for you, and I'm going to talk about these. These are the things I want you to become, verse 9. And this is my prayer. This is what I want for you because I love you. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Here's what I want. I want you to keep growing. I want you to keep moving. I want you to keep becoming more like Jesus. I want you to know him better. I want you to understand Jesus more. You don't have to know me better. You don't have to think about what I did when I was there. I want you to know Jesus more and more. And more is this Paul's way of saying, look, we didn't just launch this little church so that it would kind of grow and stay. God, God has more that he wants to do in the life of this church. But you got to know Jesus more. Like your mind, your heart, it's got to get filled up with Jesus more and more and more and more. There are, there are churches, not to be critical of other churches. That's just my life experience. Is that there are churches who talk about how great it was when. Don't you remember how great it was when? Don't you remember what a great church we had when? Paul says to the Philippians, I don't want you to talk about how great the church was when. It was great, and I'm thankful for that. I'm telling you, Jesus wants to do more in your church. I'm telling you, God wants to do more kingdom work in your church. But you got to know Jesus more and more. He says he wants them to grow in depth of insight, which just means, like, I, I want you to be able to discern right and wrong. Like, I want you to know what is the right thing and what is the wrong. I want you to get clarity on that. And you, you can't adopt Right and wrong for people outside of the kingdom of God because they're not going to lead you towards right and wrong. Your discernment of what is truly right and what is truly wrong has to come from God, from Jesus, from his word. I want you to grow in your ability to discern between those two. And then he says, I want you to be able to discern what is best. The whole time this is happening, I don't want you to lose grasp on what's really important. I don't want you to lose perspective from the kingdom. I want you to know what's really, really important because sometimes in church life we can get distracted by a lot of things 
And Paul's encouraging the Philippians. Now, I want you to grab hold of, stay focused on, stay committed to the things that really, really matter and will matter for eternity. And then last thing in this opening section, I want you to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. I want you to walk in the righteousness that Jesus has already put in you. Like you came to faith in Christ and he gave you his righteousness. I want you to live in that righteousness. I want you to walk out the righteousness of Jesus in your daily life as individuals, as a church. I want you to grow in the righteousness of Jesus. And here's what I believe. I believe that the same God that launched a church in Europe, that revolutionized that part of the world, the the same God that birthed the first century church, in the midst of struggle and trial and persecution, and it grew and changed the world. That God wants to do the same thing in churches today. God God didn't build the church for the first century. God built the church to powerfully advance throughout all time. And the gates of hell, he said, will not prevail against it. The God that changed these people And gave them power and unity. And these people were willing to give their lives to the cause of the gospel. That God will do the same thing among people who will make the same commitment. And I want to be that church. I want to be a part of a church where we partner in the gospel. We give our lives because we know this is not about us or me or who's here, or or what building we're in. This is about the gospel of Jesus Christ changing lives, and that's bigger than anything any of us can pull off. I want us to be that. I want us to be those people in this day. Let's pray. God, thank you for powerfully, dramatically birthing the church in the first century. Gospel. Thank you for people who gave themselves to the gospel. They bonded their hearts together in unity. They gave of their the gifts and their talents and their heart and their passions. They gave financially. They poured everything into what you were doing because they believed this is bigger than us. And this matters more than anything else in this world. That the kingdom of God would advance and we ask you to do it again in our day make us people servants of Jesus no titles no positions just servants of Jesus we pour our hearts and lives together that the kingdom of God might advance that light would shine and darkness would be chased away cross would be lifted high and the name of Jesus would be known in Jesus name Amen I want you to stand